Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Today I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 8. And if you do not have your own Bible, you can grab one of the black Bibles around the room. And that's on page 916 as well as we starting. When I'm finished reading, I will say this is the reading of God's Word. And your response will be, thanks be to God, because we are so thankful that He has spoken to us through His Word and revealed Himself to us. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there were much joy in the city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This is the, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness, and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villagers, villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and, joined, <clears throat> and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now 
Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shear is silent, he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Oh, sorry. Wait. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our ears to hear what you have to say to us today, Lord. Lord, there are so many around this world who need you, and we know that your heart is broken for them. We pray, Lord, that you would move us, that you would break our hearts for them as well. Lord, help us. Hear your call, and to go, and to preach your word, and to tell them about you and about your love that we've all embraced. Lord, we pray for Pastor Kyle that as he speaks, your truth would be revealed to us, that you would move us, and that we would hear you. In your heavenly name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Donica. Thank you for leading us in the word also for leading us in emotion, uh, weeping over the loss. That is God's heart. God loves uh, lost people. He wants people all over the world to know Him. And so, uh, good morning. Welcome. My name's Kyle. Uh, we're going to have a fun time today going through this passage, Acts chapter 8. It's a long passage, uh, but it's very fun. There's some interesting stuff that happens in it. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and if you're a guest, it's really awesome that you're here. Welcome. I know coming into a church can be super awkward sometimes, and, uh, but thank you for being here. Our hope is that you would encounter God today. And if you want to learn, hey, I've been coming here, I want to get involved, like Pastor Shay, Shay said, uh, grab one of those Connect cards, fill it out, uh, and just uh, put it in the, um, we already did the offering, so just take it to the Connect desk, and we will connect with you. If it's your second time here, you get a little gift, so there you go. Um, now, we are a church who is hungry for the Bible. Amen? We're a church who's hungry for the Word of God. And so that's why we're going through books of the Bible. And right now, we are going through the book of Acts. And we're calling uh, this, this section of Acts, Revival and Reconciliation. And revival simply means uh, God awaking us to His beauty. And we need a revival, don't we? We need to be awakened to the beauty of God, both inside the church and outside the church. Our city needs a revival. And, and reconciliation means uh, when parties have been separated, that the thing that has caused separation is overcome, and those two parties are brought back together in relationship. 
And the reality is that every one of us as humans have been separated from God. But in Jesus Christ, God has brought reconciliation so we, so we can have relationship with God. Amen? But also, what we see in Acts in this section is God doesn't just reconcile himself to people. He starts reconciling uh, people to people. Where there was previous separation amongst nations and races and different categories of people through the church, and because of Jesus, God starts bringing those people together, and it's a very beautiful thing. And that's what this art for our series is supposed to symbolize. Uh, if you look up here, we got a little display of the art. It's called uh, Kansugi. It's a Japanese form of art. And what it is is where some uh, a dish is broken, it's mended together with gold. And the idea of it is that when it's mended together with gold, it's more beautiful after it's been broken and brought together than it was in the first place. So that's where your ties are going, to gold, art pieces at the front. I'm just kidding. This fake gold up here is fake gold. But the idea is that it's beautiful, and it really is. And um, the, the, the reality is, is that we're a part of something much greater. Like that video we just watched, uh, God is at work all over the world. And this is just one church planting note. It's the one that we're a part of, Acts 29. Every part of that footage was footage of uh, many of the churches that we support. And it's footage of Acts 29 churches all over the world. And this week we're hosting a conference where leaders from all over the world and uh, specifically all over the West Coast are coming here to get trained so they can continue to be missionaries uh, in their context. We actually have two of them right over here, uh, Pastor Sean and Pastor Dan. They're trying to hide right here, but they're right here. They're from Hawaii, all right? So uh, welcome, brothers. And, but the idea is that God is at work all over the world. And I love this idea that we see here in Acts chapter 8. And uh, one of the reasons I love it is because one of the fa- my favorite things to do is when I go to an airport occasionally to all nations and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them of, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he wants us to, so his plan is through the church. Now that had to be a little bit of a daunting task for a bunch of uh, fishermen, don't you think? Going to all nations, they're like, we just sell boats. That's what we do. It had to be like a, you know, a little kid when he's trying to play basketball on the court, but there's some older kids playing. You have to beat the teams in order to get the court. Little kid's like, I'll take these guys, but you're scared. But then all of a sudden, LeBron James shows up. He's like, I'm on the little kid's team. And all of a sudden, you're like, we got this. That's kind of how it is. Jesus says, right after he says, go into all nations, he says, behold, I'll be with you until the end of age. And the idea is that Jesus is with us. He's with the church to take his message to all nations. And because of that, we as the church can be willing servants where we say, okay, we got this. We got Jesus on our team. And he's going to reach his people in all nations. So here's the big idea I want you to remember. God's heart is for all nations. His strategy is the church. How's he going to get the gospel to all nations? Through his willing servants, the church. Through us. And what I want you to see, which is key to understanding this passage here today, is Acts 1, verse 8. Jesus says to his disciples right before he goes up to heaven, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what Jesus is saying is here, there's a three-step process that the disciples had this message about Jesus that they're going to take. The first place they're going to take it was where? Jerusalem. That's Acts chapters 1 through 7. Acts chapter 8 is step 2. They take it to Samaria. And then uh, the rest of the book of Acts, chapters 9 through 28, is where the church takes it to the ends of the earth. And that's the big idea. 
And so here we're looking at step two of this work where God is reconciling the nations to himself. It's going to be real fun, so let's get at it. First of all, first thing I want you to know is that God does wonderful work through willing servants. So look at verse 4. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. So here's what's going on. It says, first of all, that they were scattered. Now what that's referencing is the paragraph right before. There was persecution that happened on the Christians in Jerusalem. It says that they were that the Christians were being dragged out of their homes for believing in Jesus. Some of them were being beaten, some of them were being killed, some of them were being put in prison. So they scattered. They, they fled. And, but as they fled, they continued to preach the word. Hallelujah, right? And here's what this shows us about Christians. When somebody is captivated by Jesus, you can try to kill them. You can try to beat them up. You can try to kick them out, but you can't shut them up. You can't shut up people who are captivated by our good Lord. And so Philip is one of these guys. And Philip is a leader who goes to Samaria. Now, when it says that he goes to Samaria, all the, is, uh, the people of Judaism would have paused and questioned because they viewed the nation of Samaria as their, they, they, did, they, they didn't like them. Because the Samaritans, in times past, had uh, breeded with the enemy. So they were considered by the Jews as half-breeds, as kind of sellouts or as traitors. And so the Jews really had a lot of racism, you could say, towards the nation of Samaria. And so Philip's like, I don't care. I'm going to these people with the message of God. Now what we see about Philip is that Philip in Acts chapter 6 was a man who was chosen by the congregation of the church because he was a man of good reputation, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was full of wisdom. That's something we should all strive to be, right? The presence of God was clearly with him. But not only did he have God's presence, he also had God's word. And he was a gifted evangelist. And what that means is he proclaimed Jesus. Look at what it says here in verse 5. It says, he went to them and proclaimed the Christ. Here's what you need to know about Christianity if you're a guest today. The message of Christianity is not become a better person. The message of Christianity is that Jesus is the Christ. And what that means that he's the Christ is that he is the anointed king by God come to save his people who can't save themselves. That's the message of Christianity. We're not here to become better. We're here to draw closer. We're here because he's come to save us. He's come to awaken us from the dead. That's the message of Christianity. And that's the message that Philip preached. Now what's interesting is uh, because of this, the gospel goes to Samaria. Now what's interesting, I think, about this is in Acts 1.8, if you guys can take that down if you want. In Acts 1.8, God said, go to all nations. But where did the Christians go? Jerusalem. And so God said, okay, fine. I'm going to spread uh, you out through persecution. Sometimes God will cause pain in our life to accomplish his mission. You see? I like what Francis Chan says. He's like, Christians are like manure. Welcome to church. <laughs> Christians are like manure. If you heap them up all together, they start to sink. But when you spread them out, they bring a lot of life. And that's what God is doing. A lot of times God will cause pain in our life to spread us out because he's got more people to reach. God, God does not want us to be an inward-focused church. He's an outward-focused God. 
And so he wants us to go to these people, and sometimes he'll cause pain to do that. And that's what he did here. He caused pain, and they go to Samaria. And so Philip goes, and look what it says. They all believe with one accord. And in verse 7 it says, For unclean spirits were crying out with a loud voice. And they came out of them, and, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Hallelujah. So there was much joy in the city. So what happens is as Philip goes and he starts preaching about Jesus, people start getting healed, and demonic spirits start leaving people. As the kingdom of light shows up, the kingdom of darkness flees. The same God who spoke light into darkness was speaking light through Philip, this willing servant, to these people. And that's what we need to pray for. You know, sometimes when the gospel is preached, the message about Jesus is preached, uh, God will accompany it with signs that prove that the message about Jesus is legit. And that's what's happening here. And, and, and people are being restored to wholeness. And they're being freed from demonic spirits. And that needs to be our prayer as a church, that people in our city would be freed from demonic spirits. And people who, who need healing would receive the healing by the Word of God and by the touch of His willing servant. Now, I like Philip. Because Philip's like, hey, you're trying to... I mean, imagine the pain. He probably saw his friends getting beaten, dragged away, thrown in prison. He was probably hurt himself. There was always this threat of per- persecution, but Philip said, I don't care. More people need to know about God. I love that. What a willing servant. And it says that because he was this willing servant, because these things were being done, there was much joy in the city. Joy is the fruit of the gospel being received. Now, the previous, what's happening here is the previously hated Samaria turned out to be very fertile ground for the gospel. And that's a good encouragement to us because there's people we think, or people maybe we could say we hate, or we don't want to receive the gospel, but they might be the very ones who have fertile hearts to receive it. God was eager to work in Samaria. And Stephen knew it. And so that's why he was willing to face the persecution and be bold and to do these things. And he reminds me of a story I read this week of Basil the Great in the 4th century. Basil was a man who uh, was a preacher. He was a bishop. And he continued to preach that Jesus was God. But the chief police, they didn't want him to preach that Jesus was God. So they confronted him and said, if you keep preaching that Jesus is God, we're going we're gonna to exile you. We're going to torture you, and we're even going to kill you. And this is how Basil responded. He said, if you can exile me, but wherever I go, I will be God's guest. You can torture me, but my body's already dead in Christ. And you can kill me. That'd actually be helpful, because you'll get me sooner to God. <laughs> and the chief of police said, nobody's ever spoken to me like this. And Basil said, it's probably because you've never met a real bishop. <laughs> Basil understood the heart of God. And that's why he was willing to stand in the face of persecution and do whatever it takes to preach the message of Jesus. And if we too get the heart of God, like Philip and like Basil and many saints have gone before us, we will be willing to go to the nation. We'll be willing to go across the street. We'll be willing to go to the boss that we don't like. And we'll be able to tell them about the love of Christ. But our question needs to be asked, which is this, are we willing servants like Stephen? If there was threat of you being dragged out of your home, would you go about preaching the gospel? Or would you go and just not? We need to say, God, make us willing to serve like Stephen. 
And if he does, he will do his, his, his powerful work. Okay, second thing we see in this section is that God shows his unmatched power with an unlikely audience. That's what we get here in the next section, verse 9 through 11. It says, but there was a man in Samaria named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. And he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him. From the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when he, they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So here's what we have we have a guy named Simon who's there uh, in Samaria, and he's a magician or a sorcerer. And he has power, so much power, that the people say, this man is the power of God called great. Like, he has so much power in what he's doing that the people even associate it that it's from God. And it's almost like like they start to worship this guy. And I love this about the Bible. The Bible does not deny that there are supernatural and powerful forces in this world from Jesus Christ. It does, deny, it does not deny that there's phenomenal and transcendent experiences that people have. It doesn't deny that. Um, in fact, uh, I would say that our hearts are amazed by those kind of experiences because our hearts were uh, made for the, the transcendent one. Why do you love the phenomenal? Because you're made for the phenomenal one, God himself. But the thing is, is in this world, there's a lot of counterfeit things. And with demons who use different people to do different miracles, there's a lot of counterfeit. The question is, is why would we settle for monopoly money? We, we can have the real thing. And so what we see here is there's a lot of counterfeits of, of power in this world. Some of them are demonic, supernatural things. Some of them can be psychological powers of this world. Some of them can be chemical powers of this world, like drugs. But we have to see the reason we're amazed by those things, we're almost drawn to them, is because ultimately we were drawn to God, who is the phenomenal one. And that's what Philip realizes. If you look at verse, or Simon realizes, if you look at verse 13, it says this, Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. What a turn of events. Everybody was amazed at this magician, but when the gospel shows up, he's amazed at the gospel. (laughs) That's why the, the, the Apostle Paul says that the gospel is called the power of God to those who are being saved. It's the power of God. Jesus saves sinners. That's the power of God to those who say. And that word power is the word dynamo, which is where we get the word dynamite. The dynamite of God is the gospel. That's why if you're a guest with us today and you're like, why are Christians like crying when they talk about Jesus? Because it's the dynamite of God. Because when he gets your, a hold of your soul, it frees you. You don't go to bed condemned or shamed anymore. You're free and forgiven. And that frees you. The dynamite of God. And Simon realized it and he was amazed. The appropriate response to the gospel. Oh, that our church services would be filled with more amazement. Huh? And so in verse 14, something unique happens. It says, Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had 
only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And here's what's going on. That's a unique point in history. Remember the three places that I said the gospel, you said the gospel is going to go? Jerusalem, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What we see happening here is uh, after the book of Acts, anytime somebody believes in Jesus, immediately they receive the Holy Spirit. It's like this instantaneous thing. You're filled up with the Spirit of God. But here, in this instance, uh, people believed in Jesus, but they weren't filled up with the Holy Spirit. Um, and the reason being is because Jesus has chosen that the, the, the foundation of the New Testament church would be the testimony of the apostles. So the apostles are the guys who rolled with Jesus. Like, they walked on water with Jesus. They fed 20,000 people with a kid's lunchbox with Jesus. They ate with the risen Jesus. They stuck their fingers in his, the holes in his hands and feet and sides. Jesus has chosen that the apostles were the ones who were, their testimony was going to be that God's presence has come. And so what we see in Acts chapter 2, and with me here, in Acts chapter 2, what we see is the apostles are present when the Holy Spirit falls on Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 10, we see the apostles are present when the Holy Spirit falls and the people believe to the Gentiles, which would go to the ends of the earth. But here in Acts chapter 8, Philip is there preaching the gospel. The apostles aren't. So they believe, but they don't receive the Holy Spirit until the apostles show up. Why? Because if they would have received it before, the apostles in their racism probably would have just said, well, they're just crazy Samaritans. They're not part of the family. The apostles needed to be present. And because they were present, they said, well, the people we hated, they're family too. And because of that, reconciliation happened. So that's what's going on. I say all that because some churches out there preach that you need like a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like, if you believe in Jesus, that's nice. You're like J.B. But you need another baptism of the Holy Spirit to receive all these supernatural gifts, and then you can become a varsity Christian. That's not what's going on here. These people were here. The apostles needed to be there to testify that the Samaritans, another nation, had received the gospel. You guys tracking? I'm tracking. All right. A few of you. Here we go. Now, when Simon, verse 18, now when Simon, the magician, saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So here's what's happening. Initially, Simon's amazed just at hearing the word of the gospel. Like, he's amazed by this greater power. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he's like, I will empty my wallet to be able to give this power. And what that shows us, this is a man who is used to dealing with supernatural spirits. And what that shows us is that no spirit has the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God, God with his people, is unmatched in his power. The ancients believed that the word spirit meant breath. And the reason why that the Holy Spirit is, is unmatched is because he's the breath of God to give us life. His power is unmatched. And the sorcerer recognized it. And he said, what do I have to do? How much do I have to pay to be able to give this to people? Now, Peter rebukes him. Verse, uh, the next verse, verse 20. Peter says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could attain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, 
the intent of your heart may be given you. For I see that you are a gall of bitterness and a bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So here's what's going on. Simon the magician says, What do I need to pay to be able to get this power? And Peter says, basically, to hell with that kind of thinking. He says, How dare you? And he rebukes them on two things. He says, How dare you think that the gifts of God can be purchased? Any gift that comes from God is His grace, His one-way love towards you. It's not earned or purchased. Secondly, the the reason why uh, He rebukes Simon is because Simon wanted God for power. He didn't want God for God. And that's the big thing. Simon wanted God so that he could have more power. And it just shows, like Simon already got baptized, he was a believer. It just shows how quickly as believers we can go astray, doesn't it? And Peter's invitation to him is repent. Turn from that kind of thinking. Because your heart is, is ensnared in bitterness right now. And you have this power mindset. And that's going to destroy your soul. And I think that this part of Scripture is preserved for us. Because it's very easy for us to have this kind of thinking. To have kind of like God is a vending machine kind of thinking. You know what I'm saying? Where if we just put in the right code, God is supposed to give us what we want. But we get mad when He doesn't. And that just shows that sometimes we want God for what He can give us, not God for God. And Peter says, to hell with that kind of thinking. You know, um, I talk to sometimes a a lot of people who uh, adopt children. Uh, And some people have adopted children overseas. And it costs a lot of money, like upwards of $30,000 sometimes to adopt a child overseas. And so they, they raise money, they do that, they use their power, their money, their prestige to be able to go over and take somebody out in an or- orphanage and bring them home. And whenever I ask the parent, hey, why do you bring that child home? Not one parent says to me, well, I needed somebody to clean the house. So I brought him home. Like, what kind of cruel parent would say that, right? Nobody says that. All the parents say, because we wanted a loving relationship with our son and daughter. That's why. We use our power for the sake of relationship. And when you talk to the kids who are adopted into a loving family, the kids, they'll say, yeah, I have a home or a bed and food. Now, it's it's pretty cool. But the thing that they always get back to is I have a dad now. I have a mom now. I have a relationship now. You see, it's it's so easy for us to think about God. God, we want you for what you can give us. But that's not true Christianity. True Christianity says, God, show us your power, but the ultimately thing we want is relationship with you. You're our dad. We want, we want to be in communion with you. It's not about what God can give us. It's about how we can experience his loving presence. And so that offers a confrontation and, re- and an encouragement to all of us. First of all, it offers a confrontation. One, the co- like, let's be here at church today, not so that we can get stuff from God, but that so we can get God. So we can drop close to Him. And then, as an encouragement, let's be reminded that God wants to work all over the world in powerful ways. Even to save, you know, witch doctors and magicians and sorcerers. Because at the display of His power, people will be drawn to a relationship with Him. And isn't it true that sometimes we don't go across the street to talk to our neighbors? Or we don't talk to our friends? Because we really don't believe that the, that the gospel is the power of God. Like, we were like, well, it's pretty good news to me. But that person is probably not going to save them. If we start believing in God's power, we'll start to share His word with boldness. 
And so that's, that's our encouragement. Um, and then lastly, what we see in this section is not only does God save this unlikely man, we see that God pursues a frustrated foreigner in this Ethiopian, which is the next section here. And look at verse 25. It says in verse 25, this is the apostles. Now they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So not only did Philip preach to the Samaritans, now the apostles were on the preaching to the Samaritans train too. And then we get to verse 26, and it says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. So here's the, what you guys need to see. Uh, Jerusalem's like right here in the middle. Samaria is to the north. So Philip already went to Samaria. Okay, so the gospel is spreading to the north. Okay, and then now God says, through an angel, God sends an angel to Philip, and he says, rise, go to the south, to the desert. And Philip says, okay, and he goes. Now ask yourself this question. If an angel came to you and said, go 30 miles to the desert, would you go? I'd be like, that's it? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? But Philip, upon just hearing that unclear message, just rise and go, he goes. And I think that that's a call for us to be willing servants. Sometimes God's not going to give us the exact place that he wants us to go. He's just going to say, go that direction. And we need to go in that direction. And so he goes, and uh, he says that he's going down uh, to the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it says, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join in his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come in and to sit with him. So here's what's going on. Philip just goes down to the desert, and all of a sudden he sees a chariot. Just going along. There's an Ethiopian in the chariot, an Ethiopian eunuch, which... Uh, means he was emasculated, uh, and, and what he, as a eunuch, a lot of times ancient kingdoms would make their servants eunuchs because they didn't want adultery to happen with their queens or princesses, so he was emasculated, but he was a powerful man. He was in charge of the treasury. He was an Ethiopian, so he was a man of black skin, uh, and in fact, the Ethiopian church traces their lineage back to this man, and so he's going on the road down south back home, and God says, Go run over to him. And so Philip just runs over to the chariot. And he's just imagine Philip. He's just like running over to the chariot. And he just, in quotation marks, happens to hear this man reading out of the book of Isaiah. He's reading. And Philip's like, hey there, what's up? What are you reading? Oh, I'm reading Isaiah. Oh, really? Do you understand? How can I understand? Which gives us a little encouragement. Anybody ever trouble understanding the Bible sometimes? This guy did too. And then it says that this was the passage that he was reading. We invite Philip up. It says this. This is a passage. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. I mean, I don't know if there could be a more Christ-centered passage that this guy could be reading right here. And he asked Philip this question, or he says, and the eunuch said to Philip, 
about whom I asked, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? This is what I like to call a softball. Like, Philip is, wants to share the gospel, and this guy says, okay, who is this talking about? It's clearly talking about Jesus, Philip knows. Says, who is this talking about? And, and so then in verse 35, it said this, Philip opened his mouth and began, Beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Amen. So God, just think about what God did to orchestrate this whole, whole moment. He sent an angel. He sent Philip. He gave Philip some wheels so he could catch a chariot. You know, he's running up there. At the exact moment, this guy is reading this very specific passage about Jesus. And this guy is also a, a welcoming guy. He invites Philip in and ask him the question, who is this speaking about? I mean, salvation belongs to the Lord, doesn't it? <laughs> and so Philip is like, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you about Jesus. And he says, beginning with this passage, he told him about Jesus. And just pause there for a moment. I love what Charles Spurgeon said a couple hundred years ago. He said, uh, he lived in London, and so he said, in every place in England, you'll find a road that leads to London. And he said, in the same way, in every part of the Bible, you can find a road that leads to Christ. And some of those roads are very direct. Some of them you have to do some work to get there. But just be encouraged as Christians that every piece of the Bible, we can lead them to Jesus. And that's what Philip does here. He takes this piece of scripture and he speaks uh, to them about Jesus. And look at what happens in verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from getting baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. That's beautiful. You see, uh, baptism is one of the signs, or it's one of the, the rituals that God has given his church. There's two rituals that God has given the church. Can you name them? Baptism and communion. Baptism marks the entry point into our life with God, and communion marks our continuing in the faith with God. And baptism represents this idea where you go into the water, you've been cleansed of your sins, and you've been raised out into a new life. And so, he sees this water. Now, mind you, he's in the middle of the desert. We live in a desert. Like, it's probably like a puddle of water. Like, you know, on the side of the road over here, after the rains, it's like all muddy and stuff. And he's like, there's some water, baptize me. And I think that's important because a lot of times... People come to me and say, oh, well, I want to get baptized, but can you baptize me, like, in the ocean or in Lake Tahoe? And I'm like, yeah, that's really cool, but here's the deal. It's not about the location that you get baptized. Baptism is about what has happened in your heart, the new life that you've been re received, you know, that, that you've been cleansed and forgiven of your sins. You have new life with the Holy Spirit. But this man didn't care. He's like, I'm new. Baptize me. He also knew that he was going back to Ethiopia where there was no church. He was the church. And so he said, baptize me, basically, so I can go start a church in Ethiopia. And so what I want you to see in this section is the gospel was going north to Samaria, and then God sent Philip to this man who was sending south to Ethiopia. And it's basically God's way of saying, it's spreading. This is the moment where it starts to spread everywhere, even to Sparks, Nevada. And then in verse 39, one of the most weird verses in the whole Bible says this, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. 
That's weird. Did you guys pay attention to that? He comes out of the water, and then all of a sudden, like, Philip is carried away. Now, I wonder if he's just like, zap, like, real, like real fast, or if it's like, I'm going away. You know, like, I wonder if it's, like, he floats away. I don't know what happens. But what happens with the eunuch is he sees that, and he rejoices. You know why? Because the eunuch realized that God loved him so much that he orchestrated this whole moment to send this messenger to him just to capture his heart and then to take him away. How could you not be rejoicing? How could you not be rejoicing? And then it says, but Philip found himself about 30 miles away in Azotus and another Samaritan city. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So he basically goes up the coast up north again, taking it to every single town, the message of Jesus Christ. And so what we see in this little section here with this Ethiopian eunuch is that God is, like C.S. Lewis says, the holy hound of heaven. He is full of providence for his people. The word providence means he is orchestrating every millisecond for the good of those he loves. Every millisecond. Think about it. He sent an angel. He sent Philip. Had this specific passage. And he also, the puddle of water. Also, this could happen. God is the holy hound of heaven. He's the holy hound of all nations. And so what we can see about God from the entirety of Acts chapter 8 is that His love is for many different types of people. Did you know that? Like, His love is for rich people like the eunuch. But it's also for poor people like these lame beggars that Philip met. His love is for people that society deems powerful, like Simon. And it's also for the the people that society deems unclean, like those who had unclean spirits. God's love is for a multitude of different people. And God is extremely committed to reach those people that He loves. So much so that He's willing to persecute the church to make it happen. And He's willing to send angels and do miracles. Because God will stop at nothing to give to His children. And if we don't see that enough in this text, we should see it as we contemplate the the gospel message of our Lord. I mean, isn't it true that in Jesus Christ we see that God will stop at nothing to give to His people? And isn't that what this passage says here in verse 33? It happened to be the passage that this eunuch was reading. It says, in his humiliation, speaking about Jesus, justice was denied. Who can describe this generation for his life is taken away from the earth? You know how much God is committed to reaching his people? That he came to our earth and he allowed his life to be taken from the earth. That's how much. Think about this for a moment. The King of glory, Jesus Christ, who created all things and sustained all things, was willing to be humiliated to the point of becoming a little infant wrapped in swaddling cloth so that one day we could be full adults in the kingdom of heaven wrapped in his righteousness. The king of glory was born in a manger, rejected by all, so that we could be brought in to the Father's home. And this was the life that he lived ever since that moment in the manger. And it was a life that he would face where on the cross he would be falsely condemned and humiliated. Think about humiliation for a moment. It's the thing that our souls fear the most, isn't it? To be rejected and mocked and ridiculed, especially if it's over something we didn't do. 
Like, heck, we can't even drive on the road and have somebody honk at us and say, it's not my fault. Like, we get so upset when we get wrongly accused, don't we? And we hate the idea of being humiliated. Like, most of us have nightmares about humiliation, like showing up to school in your underwear or graduation or something like that. And the thought of being humiliated by the ones you love the most can destroy us all. But God was willing to face humiliation. And so on the cross, you know, when he stood before the court, he was stripped naked. He was beaten. He was whipped almost to the point of death. They put a crown, not of glory on his head, but of of thorns. They put a purple robe on his back. And they bowed to him and mocked him and said, Ooh, you're the king of the Jews. And then they punched him in the face saying, oh, why don't you have the power to avoid this? But they humiliated our Lord, the King of glory, who was holding them together. And Jesus was willing to do it. And furthermore, they nailed him to a cross. And they hoisted him up in the air so everybody could see. And they put on his uh, head right above it and said, this is the King of the Jews. Look at it. Here's your King dying on a cross like a criminal. He can't even save himself. And he hung there in agony because that's how far God was willing to go to save you and me and the nation. That's how far. And furthermore, on the cross, darkness came over the earth. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because on that moment, he wasn't just facing, uh, you know, rejection and humiliation from man. He was also facing it from God. He was experiencing the wrath of God. He was going to hell to bring us home. How much does God love you? He's willing to go to hell to bring you home. That's how much. Hell is the rejection of God. And His wrath poured out upon you. And that's where Jesus went. And when you are moved by that message, you'll begin to have a heart like Philip. Where you say, God, wherever you send me, I will go. Because I believe that you not only did this for me, you did it for others. And if we could be a church that's moved by this vision of glory, our city will change. It doesn't matter who's in the pulpit. It doesn't matter, you know, how great of people we think we are. As long as we're talking about our great Lord, this city will change. And so that's what we need to be asking God to help us do. So let's pray that together. God, help us to have a vision of your glory. God, I love that this passage, like, it doesn't mention the moral obedience of anybody before they receive the gospel. In fact, it almost mentions the opposite, that Simon was a sorcerer. He's a power-hungry guy, like, and yet you saved him anyways, and that's just a picture of what you do for us, God. And so, God, we ask that you would just move in us and that you would show us that this gift you give us is nothing we could ever earn or purchase. It's only received. And we ask for a greater vision of your goodness and a greater vision of your glory. And we ask that you would make us willing servants like Philip so that if it's going across the street or across the world, we would say, send me, I'll go. Help us, Lord. Thank you for having a heart for us and a heart for the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.